and extremely excited to introduce you to jazz percussionist Doug Hammond. He is a living legend, working with icons like Charles Mingus, Donald Byrd, and Sonny Rollins. And he's tied to Detroit through his recordings with the renowned jazz label Tribe Records, which was groundbreaking in its ability to be not only a record label, but an artistic movement, a magazine, and really everything in between. Hammond has returned to the city this weekend for a rare performance tonight and tomorrow at Trina Sof in Eastern Market. He visited the WDET studios for a performance and conversation with Amanda LeClaire. They started out talking about how he began playing in Detroit when he first came to the city all the way back in 1965. Ooh, that's a a dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) When I came here first, there was a place called Chessmate. It was a jam session place. And somehow when I went there I immediately got in, in immediately got into the jazz I mean to the uh, Motown scene because I come from the south and I had been playing with so famous rhythm and blues guys blues guys but when people saw me playing they said oh so I got a job on 12th street in a club that was where people come to audition for Motown and for me that was great as a, as a house drummer to do that for a while and then James Jamerson and blues with Lil Sonny, this was the great, and then into the jazz, which what I what is is what I was after. My idea was to come here and prepare for New York, but rhythm and blues was what I grew up with because well, I come from Tampa, so you got Cannonball Alley, and we played Cannonball Alley and Horace Silver in our high school bands and you know stuff like that. So, and Cannonball Alley, Ray Charles did most of his stuff there because the blind school was in the region. So <clears throat> the tradition of music was great. So when I come here, it was like uh, stepping up a bit, a big bit, actually. <laughs> but it still kind of felt a little bit like, like home, right? Well, then, 22 years old at home, it was a great experience. No, it was not, no, it was not like home. It was like being glad to be in a new place. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it was home was... It became home quickly, easy. I mean, quite quite uh, quickly, actually. But uh, I didn't think of it that way. I was 22 years old. You know, was, are you 22? <laughs> <laughs> Significantly older, but <laughs> I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean of, of you're kind of in a, in a fresh new world, and you're in that world because it doesn't feel like home. But there was something that, that kept you here, you know? Well, music. I I'm, I'm, I mean, my thing was don't get married and don't have children and play music and, you know, do everything else. But my, I mean, I was a fanatic I mean, in music in the sense that's the only thing that was interesting for me. I mean, that was during the time of Vietnam. I hate war anyway. So I say, well, only thing to do is dive into music and writing because I, I write too. So I was just, I just dive in and just head first, boom, music. Let's kind of dip into that for a minute for the idea of sound. What was it that fascinated you about sound and about music? And I don't know if you remember, but what was the defining moment that you knew that playing the drums was was your path? <laughs> That's where it's just, I wanted to play violin. And I went to the school. It was an all-black school in Florida. And uh, my director said, well, what do you want to play? I said, violin. He said, well, you know, well, we don't really have violins, but... How many children in your family? I said, well, I have four sisters and a brother. He said, buy some drumsticks. 
because we have drums, tubas, and French horns, and so he knew my family couldn't buy any, buy an instrument. So I said, okay, and I bought the drumsticks, started practicing the drums, and fell in love. Just, wow. I mean, they just fell in love with the drums. I just say, well, you know. Yeah. Have you ever imagined how uh, what what would have changed about your life if anything, if you had had that violin? I don't even want to think about. It. If I would <laughs> say with the violin, yeah. If well, had I mean, the the violin, vi- what would have probably happened is. I would have been in a room by myself because there was nobody who played violin. We could teach it. <laughs> well, no, I'm glad I didn't. The violin that would have been a hard thing to deal with in in this business. Yeah, know, the business I played with. No, I'm happy. I'm happy about. It. You were one of the founding members of the Detroit Creative Musicians Association, and that was a space that nurtured independent musicians. Um, was there anything like that being done in that vein at the time? Well, there was a, an organization called Instage. And I think Kirk Lightsey, they elected him to be the president, but it was a short-lived organization. And because of the fact that Kirk Lightsey was mostly going on the road, and he's not really that kind of a guy organization-wise. He was more like the, how would you call it, figurehead? It was something like that, but it was uh, there was an artist workshop that was going on, but I was not aware of that. I mean, I was I was going to the artist workshop, because of uh, John Dana and Ronnie Johnson and Danny Spencer, but I did. I looked at it as just a place to go jam some uh, avant-garde music. I didn't know it was an organization like it was. Uh-huh. And so when we did this, I didn't have any. I didn't have any uh, idea about any other organization. There was nothing like that going on. Bruce Milan was really uh, instrumental in giving us some kind of focus. If you're going to do this, you got to do this. It's because, you know, organization, even teaching us how to silk screen. So if you're going to do it, you got to go to work. You say, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves and go to work. <laughs> what else came out of that organization? Oh, great things. Because at the Repertory Theater, we did Sundays, only Sundays. And Sundays, like in the daytime, which means we have a, almost like a captured audience, even though it was small. And as it began to grow, as anything grows, everybody wants to be a part of something like that. You know, musicians came, all the best musicians came. And I was a coordinator, so my job was being sure that we have quality. So naturally I had a lot of enemies because I was like very, <laughs> no, yes, no, no, I don't care, you know, because I've been trained to be a leader all my life, didn't know it. But I never told people when I came here that I was a drum captain of the marching band and the band in Florida, which was a pretty well-known and high-level band. And I was the assistant band captain, which means they wanted me to be the band. I said, I can't do all this. So, But I never told anyone that because I didn't want to have anything to do with leadership, nothing. All I would do was be a drummer and get paid and have all the experiences I could get. You know. But at the same time, by having this experience, it was easier for me to get in this position as a coordinator because in choosing what the quality of the bands were by having to deal, because I had to conduct Beethoven and all this stuff, you know. I mean, actually conduct it and say, hey, you're out of tune and all that. So I was used to doing this, not thinking of leadership or anything. So that's what made it difficult for some of the musicians, because I knew, I said, this is not good, you know, and so because just the basic stuff. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't give in. I said, well, I know you and your name, and but this, if this doesn't work, no, it's, we have to consider what, for the public, we have to give the best quality. And that's what coordination was about. 
Yeah. Speaking of uh, uh, collaborations and, and working with other musicians, collaboration itself is such a huge, huge part of the jazz world. And it's been uh, a thing. Let me say this about sure. collaboration because yeah. collaboration is a new word. We want to make a new paradigm. When I played with Mingus, I was not a collaborator. I was a sideman. I was mm-hmm. an employee. Collaboration means you have something to say. No. So collaboration is not the word because that's the new word that one say. I mean, a st- a st- people come as a, if, if I get a, a musician in my band, I don't want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he plays. He have, have nothing to say until you can play it. If you can play it, then you can have something to say, maybe. But it ain't a collaboration. Well, they, there's this uh, illusion that musicians come together and do it together. That's a lie. You don't come in Mingus band and have something to say. He might throw you out the window. Well, I mean, he's not that bad, really. He might just tell you to get out, you know. But, I mean, can you imagine me playing with Mingus and say, you know, Mingus, I got an idea. He'd say, yeah, you fired. That's your idea. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody would say to me, I think this, bye. I didn't, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't hire you for your thoughts. Mm-hmm. I hire you for what you can do on the instrument. And when I hear what it is, this is what it is. If you got something to say, I think you should get a job. And I don't think they should take your job, though. Mm. So you've been in both those positions as the, the band leader and as the sideman. Yes, and I tell you this. I never had the aspirations to be a band leader. I always loved the idea of being the sideman and getting paid. Mm. That's like the best thing. You go play, get paid, and look for hmm, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to be a band leader, say, oh, my goodness, it's a responsibility. Yeah, a lot. A lot yeah. of responsibility, for sure. Also, I, I guess for me, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't really want to tell people what to do. Well, I mean, the yeah. thing is, it being a band leader doesn't mean, if I have to tell you what to do too much, I don't think I have the mm. right musicians. Mm-hmm. But I can say what not to do, and that's sometimes very sticky. That's, well, I would like to do this. I say, well, you know, then this is not the right place. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of playing, I would really love to hear the instrument that you brought as we spoke earlier. That is the Sansa. The Sansa is from Kenya. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the Sansa? Well, the history of the Sansa is a, a friend of mine gave it to me in Frankfurt, and he's a collector. He collects actual real instruments and not as much as he can when he goes to the musician. I mean, go to the musicians in the in traditional areas. He doesn't uh, collect, like, tourist instruments. You know? And he offered me two instruments from his collection. He was a, was a collector. And this is one of the instruments I chose from Kenya and a sloop. That's all I know about it. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any idea how old it is? Huh? How, how old that one is? Well, I don't know how old the instrument is, but I've had it for 31 years. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I should have asked him, when did he buy it? I mean, mm-hmm. when did he get it? I didn't, I didn't ask him. Might be an antique. Might be, but I'm not selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'd love to hear uh, hear one of your compositions or something that you want to play on it. Um, but I'm also would love you to describe what it is because folks on the radio aren't to describe not this instrument. What it looks like. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's like a. I'm not very good at this. It's I can't describe this. <laughs> it's 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 called a, a, a an African thumb piano. Mm, will you be playing it at Trinasoft's? Yes. So if anyone wants to see what the Sansa looks like, they'll have to come out to Trina Soft. That would be the best way to deal with it. I think it would. (laughs) You should come and check it out, yes. All right. Do you want to play something for us? There is a wee 
Don't run away, no. Rain or shine, we stay with us. Peace now on earth is what we need, so. Where's the love we used to know? We people can make good weather living now and help each other when there is loving. We know to share. Now with uh, the great Doug Hammond, he is going to be playing a set of three shows at Trino Soaps and Eastern Market um, over the next few days, tonight, Friday, and Saturday night. So without giving it all away, what can people expect at these performances? Expect it. Mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, Marcus Elliott and Rocco Pipiolowski, Dwight Adams, and maybe Andy Milner drops in and play with us too. Mm-hmm. And we are playing, where is this? Kaleidoscope, can you say that word anymore? Mm-hmm. Of uh, kind of mood music, a little funky, a little blues, and a little other. Mostly songs. I mean, songs, music, so- I say songs, you know, like this. What do you expect from an audience? What's a great audience for you? What I expect from the audience? Mm-hmm. To be there. <laughs> <laughs> I never expect from the audience. My job is to try to is to bring them into this music as much as I can. I never have expected. I found that expectation usually brings disappointment. That is true. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, about leadership and about collaboration. Isn't really what you've been used to in 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 jazz, and that's a kind of a new idea. But as far as your philosophy with music goes, philosophy is music. Yeah, what is yours? Wow, I never thought about that. Well, I, I, let me say something about collaboration. One of the things I don't like to do is to collaborate with other musicians where everybody have their music and we play each other's music. You know why? Because it's kind of difficult to say to someone who you love that you don't want to play their music when you really don't. And I don't like pretending. Mm. I mean, I have the ability to put myself into any music, to just do it. But I don't like to have to collaborate. And I don't really know anybody I would like to collaborate with, say, we get together and do our music, and I do yours and you do mine. I don't want to do that because I would rather do your music and I'm just sitting there and be the side man and enjoy just doing that and let you have all that problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a problem. (laughs) I mean, it's like that. But honestly, when I played with Mingus, that was great. I enjoyed the challenge of something completely different. I'll give you an example. (laughs) Please, yes. Michael Gregory Jackson. You ever heard of him? Mm-mm. You've heard of Michael Gregory Jackson, this guitar player. He's from, I think he's from Detroit. He's kind of avant-garde. He's definitely avant-garde. So I'm in Denmark, and they say, yeah, Doug Hammond, the people in the radio say, we have this guy, he's, Michael, you want to play with Michael Gregory Jackson? Well, Michael Gregory Jackson had some music that was very complicated, very complicated. So I told him, I said, man, I, I'd like to be, can you write it down? He said, sure. <laughs> The next day he gave me this sheet. I look at it and say, 
yes, I probably could read that. I said, no, I just go by it. I just go from hearing it. He knew it. So I did learn it that way. <laughs> because I looked at it, I said, if I did read it, I'd probably be playing it like a robot <laughs> because it was so complicated. <laughs> so, but that, that was the, the experience to say, okay, using your ears, but, which is better anyway. So we it worked out. It was work, it worked out. He, he kind of laughed at him. We still didn't get to philosophy. Huh? Your, your personal philosophy of music. Has there been one? Okay, music to me is the voice of the soul. And I believe actually that music is the only thing that's going to save us from in the planet. And I mean music without words. I'm talking about just the music. I don't know why I believe that, but I do. I really believe this. And I'm not talking about electronic music. I'm talking about acoustic music. Not that I'm against electronics, you know, but I'm an acoustician. I think there is a there's a lot of interesting um, sort of philosophies, especially in esoteric sort of studies, that vibration is a way of uplifting the body, not just the spirit, but literally the sound waves can heal you. The biggest one to me is rhythm. Rhythm. And rhythm is something that's overlooked most of the time. But remember now, Without rhythm, what happens to the heart? And when the heart stops, what happens to us? All over the world, rhythm is what really does things for us, rhythm. Music is the soul. I mean, it's the voice of the spirit and the soul. That's how I think of it. Well, I'd love to hear uh, something else on the Sansa to wrap up the interview. Okay. Let me see. I might as well do something traditional. Hey, woman, why don't we make it a real deal? Don't you hear my heart a rumbling, rumbling? 